Super Talk Mississippi media production. Did you know Toyota Brookhaven has sold more new vehicles the last two years than any other dealership in southwest Mississippi? Come see why. Exit 40 Brookhaven or online at toyotabrookhaven.com. Great service, great savings. At Toyota Brookhaven, we deliver. I'm Steve Azar, and I'm on the other side of the microphone, meaning I'm asking the questions this time, and oh, have mercy for the airwaves. I spent 20 years in Music City, wrote and made some hits, traveled the world, and then moved my family back to the birthplace of American music and where the magnolia trees prosper. And now every time I put my feet on Mississippi soil, when I'm off the road, well, I'm at peace. On this show, it's all about hearing the stories straight from the mouths of the friends I've made along the way, their journey to success. Heck, there might be someone on, I don't even know, but you know how us Mississippi types are. We tend to take well to new company. In a Mississippi minute, all 60 of them. I'm Steve Azar. It's just like that muddy river moving slow. Ain't no worries, it's how life goes. In a Mississippi we met at the Beacon School for Kids event in the Virgin Islands many years ago, and we were partnered up in a canoe race, believe it or not, which we were killing the field until we realized that neither one of us knew how to turn. We shared the same birthday, I mean literally the same year and day. We hadn't checked the hour yet, but we will. He has so many accomplishments in the major leagues. He's been a Cy Young winner not one time, but two times, an all-star three times, a world series champion uh, pulled out game seven for the Kansas City Royals golden glove winner major league wins leader I can go on and on ERA leader I mean it just never ends can you please welcome before I lose my mind legendary Brett Saberhagen hey Brett (laughs) thanks for having me on how you doing man I'm doing great talking to Brett Saberhagen he is in Texas right now you said Brett no back in LA right now okay heading out to see you uh you perform uh, this week in Chicago, so I'm looking forward to seeing you again. Yeah, we're going to be fun. We're going to have a good time. Probably hopefully get some yeah. golf in. I, the thing about me and the Kingsmen who are performing in a couple of dates is we live all over the map, so our only right. chances to rehearse are at soundcheck. And so uh, right. we'll see how much time much we get done, but uh, looking forward to seeing you. All right, so so Brett, let's talk about I want to dig in. I love talking about growing up, where it all started. You were a great athlete uh, in other sports. Growing up, you were a hooper. You played football. You played basketball. I mean, basketball, of course, and then baseball. At what point in your life did you realize baseball was it and, and, and started, started, started focusing on that game? Well, baseball was always um, my 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 best sport that I played. Basketball was second, and um, football was uh, kind of uh, football was kind of the third uh, sport that uh, I enjoyed. But um, yeah, it was it was head head and shoulders uh, the baseball uh, part of it. So, uh, and uh, I think uh, you know when I was in high school and the scouts started coming out and looking at me, that was kind of when I had a realization that uh, I could possibly go and play pro ball. As far as baseball is concerned. You know, I think about kids that stood out. I mean, you, you know, with T-ball era, and just for people that are just with kids now and that are on their way and trying to figure it out, and, of course, they think their child is, you know, the next big thing, and, and some of them are. But with that in respect, you, you sort of, with 9, 10 years old, you're past T-ball. Was pitching always something you were? Were you the shortstop? Were you the first baseman? Were you the catcher? I mean, did, or was it always you at the mound? 
Yeah, I was. Uh, my love actually was shortstop, so um, I kind of uh, gravitated towards that. Uh, but um, they put me on the mound at an early age, and I could throw strikes and had pretty good control. And uh, picked up curveball at an early age. Had good coaches that taught me the right way of throwing it, and um, uh, I just kind of exceeded, uh, excelled a little bit more at uh, pitching than shortstop. But uh, yeah, my love was uh, was shortstop. Wow. Well, you know. I was a catcher growing up, of course, at the level of whatever it was, but uh, I had some fun doing it. And the reason I decided to catch is because I didn't love short hops without any protection. <laughs> I'm serious. Yeah. So I became, I felt like I've got all this gear. I'm good, man. I'm just going to, you know, and then I remember it very clearly. We had the, uh, the, the, the guy that threw the most heat as 11, 12 year old, right? And so yeah. I had a, a bad habit early on of starting to turn my head a little bit when it would come. And so I was yeah. talking to somebody, and I remember turning my head, and right when I did toward the mound, he had pitched, and he didn't know. And back then, we had the helmet on the side. The ears weren't protected. You uh, know, just had the mask. Yeah. And so it took my mask, and it just slung it like 10 feet. So uh, I remember going like, that didn't hurt. And after that, I said, I will never turn my head. And uh, never. Now, I have had my cup cracked a couple times from foul balls <laughs> and been knocked out and woke up my parents sitting over the top of me. Oh, you know, geez. yeah, it didn't feel good. <laughs> Thinking that maybe no. I didn't need a cup. You know, like maybe it would have been better to just to just to just get hit because, man, the pain was like just, oh, my gosh. But, um, you know, so as a pitcher, you're growing up and uh, is it did you did you feel like your opportunities were greater since you were in a big city? Were you doing uh, the travel baseball back then? I mean, I don't even know if when we, you and I were growing up, if travel baseball existed in Mississippi, except for when you became an American Legion player. Uh, you you were sort of the elite. I mean, do you feel like growing up in L.A. was all that going on? Yeah, not not uh, not for uh, for me exactly. It was uh, a little bit later. Um, so it was American Legion ball that we played after our season was over. Uh, high school and you joined American Legion. You know, in the little league you go to the All Stars, but once that season ended, uh, the baseball you went on to the next sport. You didn't right. play it all year long. Um, you know, so. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's, it's changed quite a bit. The game has, and, uh, you know, there's like, I, like you were saying, there's a lot more opportunities, uh, as a pitcher to make it, uh, playing in college and professional, um, because there's a lot more of them on the team. So right. if you're an outfielder, you got three chances to get in, get on, you know, on the team and that, or being a backup, but a shortstop and a second baseman, middle infielder, you know, there's one, one of those on each team, you know, so I was fortunate enough to uh, to be drafted as a pitcher, and it worked out pretty good. And yeah. you know, after uh, one year of playing in the minor leagues, they uh, they were looking for a little help, and a couple guys were injured starting off the year, and they uh, asked me to you know come up to the big leagues after one year in the minors. So, 19 years old, uh, turning as you know, April 11th is our birthday. That's right. Um, so, the first week of the year, I was 19 years old. My first big league uh, year in 1984. Wow. What, who was the first team you pitched against in the majors? I came out of the bullpen and it was against the Yankees. I love telling this story. Dick Hauser was the manager at the time, and he calls me in, and there was a runner on first base. And, you know, he knew I was a little nervous. He said, don't worry about this runner on, on first base. Focus on this hitter, this and that. Well, Don Slott was our catcher. He put down a two. So I go, okay, curveball. <laughs> um, and I throw a curveball, and as soon as I let go of the pitch, he stands up for a pitch out. And uh, he didn't put down two. He put down the bull, you know, the the hook'em horns for a pitch out. And I was just a little 
uh, I guess, geeked up and uh, didn't realize that uh, he called for a pitch out. And I still <laughs> kind of blame Dick Hauser. He's, he's the one that said, don't worry about this guy in first base. Instead of, he probably should have said, hey, you know, we might pitch out on this guy at the first pitch, so pay attention. Yeah. <laughs> so my first pitch I thought was a strike. It went right over the plate, right through the umpire's legs to the backstop because uh, Don Slot was out for a pitch out. Um, and uh, it was called a ball, but I thought it was a strike. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's, that's the very first pitch. We can't forget that. I like the little right. miscommunication between the catcher yeah. and, and the pitcher. I love it. Okay, so were you in Yankee Stadium or were you at Kansas City p- playing? We were in Kansas City, yeah. All right, what's that feeling yeah. like when you you finally – You first of all, you're 19. Do you feel like it, it benefits you being that young rather than 22, going through a few years of college and playing NCAAs and all that? Or do you feel like that because you were so young, sort of like in the game of golf, you see a lot of young players. Players, it's almost like they don't know what they're up against. It's too soon. You know or- what? I yeah. You know what made it easy? I think for me and, and probably uh, him as well. Mark Gubazai and I uh, were were friends. Um, we went to instructional ball. Um, you know, our first first year together, and then we uh, we played in double A together, and um, uh, we both got called up. Um, so we were both rookies um, in 1984, and we roomed together and pretty much did everything together. So it, it made that transition a little smoother rather than, you know, joining a, a veteran team that, you know, I, I wasn't really familiar with a bunch of the guys. So everything that we kind of did that year was together, um, and it made the, the transition from minors to the big leagues at, at an early age, uh, I think, a little easier for both of us. I think he was 21 at the time. I love you. You had, you had to have a little bit of a, 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 a partner there. It's like uh... – Somebody to help you get through all that. I know that having a room dog that uh, that's sort of on your, you know, that, that you guys can relate to probably yeah. made it a whole lot easier. And uh, I'm Steve Azar. You're in a Mississippi Minute with the fabulous, legendary, <laughs> incredible pitcher, incredible guy, Brett Saberhagen. We'll be right back. Hey, folks. In the market for new pillows, I'd like to tell you about who I believe strongly is the best pillow manufacturer made right here in the USA, my friends at Beds by Design and their amazing Omni Pillow. The Omni Pillow is made with a copper-infused fabric, and they use high-quality fabric. The copper has been known to be antifungal, antibacterial, and good for the skin. The OmniFlow is the foam in the inside. Designed by their veteran team, the OmniFlow is a one-of-a-kind product that is unlike any other material. It is a patent material that adjusts as the weight is applied. They combine that with responsive temperature control that regulates your body temperature as you sleep. OmniPillow has a 100-day return policy. And listen to this. They'll donate a pillow to someone in need every time you purchase one. Their goal? To give away 1 million pillows. It also comes with a stress cube that sells for 10 bucks. I'm squeezing on one right now. Give yourself a much-deserved life's rest. Go to OmniPillow.com. That's OmniPillow.com. Enter promo code Steve Azar and receive 20% off with free shipping. You won't regret Regret it. Thanks, guys. In a Mississippi minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I'm Steve Azar. You're in a Mississippi Minute. If I fail to tell you, all 60 of them, because that's how we do roll here in Mississippi. We are via California on the phone with the great Brett Saberhagen. We call him Sabes. Uh, uh, he's uh, 
been on a bunch of charity events with me. He's a really giving guy. He loves to give back, loves to play golf, incredible athlete, uh, really good canoeer, and uh, and obviously uh, can carry me uh, through the water. So, hey. Hey, uh, you, we, didn't, we didn't mention about uh, your, your, your golf. Uh, and if anybody doesn't really know, Steve Azar is a great golfer. Well, he no, actually he's not. got a hole in one at that tournament on a par four. I did. Number so, seven. Yes. I had number yes. seven. That was my seventh one. So, and you know uh, what the funny thing is? Brett, you know what's funny? It, my yeah. game's going so south since I moved back. <laughs> I, I, I decided that, uh, you know, back there was a time when we were training and getting up and hitting balls and eating donuts and having coffee and hitting a triangle of balls in the morning. And, and when I was on the road, I'd go play. But now it just when the kids got a little older, it got more interesting to watch them do things, and uh, right. and just a lot more fun than me. And so I've lost you know a handful of shots for sure, and uh, and you know it's almost like when I'm even par going through eleven or twelve, I'm in shock now, you know. And then 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 <laughs> then I lose seven or eight shots somewhere along those five, six, seven shots go away. But but that was fun. And you know the, the funny thing about that is I had that company from Germany fitting me. And I can go ahead and tell everybody now because it's okay. They all of my hole in ones have been with ping clubs, and I had a ping driver on that hole. I remember uh, we always hooked it left in that little collection area, and I decided right. I'm going to try to cut one. I was hitting it really good that that day, and the 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 guy at the company was there, and so it goes in or whatever. And I thought I blocked it, and so I guess maybe I should have been blocking it every year. But but long story <laughs> short, he asked, could he goes can you say that was our driver? And I said, yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> I remember I remember getting in. I remember getting in, and Tim Fox and Andy Johnson, you know, you know, you know them from the Patriots. I remember yeah. they had been there every year, and we hadn't said much to each other. So it was probably four years in. We hadn't really gotten to know each other, and I remember they were getting in the car, and I went running up to them going, please take me, take me back because the bill was going to be crazy. And so I, I escaped. Everybody was looking for me, trying to get me to pay for everything. Yeah, I was. And I became great friends with Tim and Andy right there. It was that moment when they saved me from about an $8,000 uh, bill. So anyway, so we did that. But hey, so let's, let's uh, talk about, I want to dig into baseball for a minute, and I want to go back to you going back to, is it Calabasas is high school, right? Yeah. Where you well, went I back? Was, I was coaching at Calabasas. Correct? Right. And I want to, because I've enjoyed coaching our kids, and obviously yeah. there's a limit between what I know. Just, I did it because I wanted to be around them more, and and that, you know, after you're gone so much, you were a guy that traveled. You know, baseball, you're on the road, or you're gone a lot. Even if you're home, yeah, we you're are. working, right? Spring training, you're gone for a month and a half, almost two months, and then the 81 days season, you're you're on the road. And yeah, when you're at home, you're you actually spend more time with your teammates than you do uh, your your wife or your yeah uh, and your kids and that. So yeah, yeah, it's I feel like that there's been that it's, it's very difficult to be a, a, a perfect husband, and it's impossible when you're when you're having to stay in shape and train and be gone, and it's just it's just it takes a, a almost a miracle. You know, yeah. for it all to make sense. Okay, so was it your son that you, when you came back and you retired, and you came back and you, you built a field, right? Yeah, yes, I did. And then you just yep. decided you wanted to, you, your, was it that, that you wanted to be around your son and your kids a little more that you yeah. sort of drove you? Cal- Calabasas, um, yeah, I, I became, uh, after I retired my first year, I just went out and watched him play. And uh, I wasn't coaching or doing any of that stuff. And then the second year, I, uh, I decided that, um, 
uh, well, I was asked if I wanted to be an assistant coach. And then, uh, I, it was enjoyable doing that. And then um, the, the head coach uh, wasn't there anymore, and asked, they asked me to be the head coach and take over the full entire baseball program. And so I ended up raising a, a good amount of money and building a brand-new field and uh, for the varsity and doing a softball field for the girls, redoing that. So fixing up the, the high school quite a bit. But, yeah, the main reason was because my son was there. But, but as it turned out, I, I love coaching, and I love working with the kids. But when we take over a program and you're not an assistant coach anymore and you're in charge of three teams, right. your duties are very, very full. And uh, what I love doing, I probably was doing it only 10% was, was coaching between you know, maintaining the field and fundraising right. <laughs> and making sure the kids' grades are on, on par and they're not in trouble and setting up our schedules for all three teams and hiring coaches and making sure all the equipment is ordered and the uniforms right. are ordered and dealing with parents and so on and so forth. So I got worn out after three years and just couldn't do it anymore. I was a volunteer guy and, uh, you know, uh, it took over my year. It was about ten and a half months out of the year that um, I was up there coaching. With these wow! Guys. All right, did you have like little Johnny's parents? Or I'm just using little Johnny, and you know, he's always in trouble. Uh, do you have any parents? <laughs> we, have, we have one or two of those. What <laughs> parents would question you? Because I, I gotta, I gotta know if that existed that you actually had confrontations with oh, a parent yeah. because they felt like that their son needed to play. Didn't they feel like you were a good, pretty good judge of that? Oh, I had grandparents. You know, wanting to take me to lunch and talk to about talk to me about their you know their grandkid and so wow. on and so forth. It was it was always something. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, man. I don't think yeah. I couldn't look you in the <laughs> eye and be serious. There's no way. I mean, at this point, you know, you know the game. You know what it takes. And you got as a parent, you got to stay away from somebody like you. We're talking to Brett Saberhagen. Brett, let's talk, okay. Let's let's dig back. Let's go backwards now. Your 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 first big year. So. You had these years. You were like one on, one off. You're like, you know. First of all, let's talk about this. You're at the mercy of having, uh, of you could be pitching a great game, and you can lose one to nothing. So your right. your your stats are always a little bit. You never know, even if you lose a game or whatever. But you had so many great years. Like you win two Cy Youngs in your career. And how far of a gap was it between your first and second Cy Young? Um, eighty-five, and then eighty-nine. Uh, so four years. So, yeah. When yeah. when do you feel like you're prime? When do you feel like you were at your best? Probably um, right around um, after being in the league about five years. I I when I graduated high school, I was one hundred and fifty-five pounds. My first year in the big leagues, I was one hundred and sixty-five pounds, and I kind of put on five pounds a year until I got up to right about one ninety-five, two hundred, and um, just picked up a lot of velocity because of being able to, you know, mature and, and grow into my body. Right. Well, you're, you're a kid still. I mean, you know, some people yeah. some people do get it earlier. Uh, I know I was a late bloomer, and, and I was an early bloomer, and then I had like six, seven years where nothing was going on, no matter what I drank. I mean, 12 eggs, I ate raw. Right. I was doing the Rocky yeah. Balboa thing. I mean, it didn't matter. It wasn't <laughs> going to happen. Triple cheeseburgers, 13-layer th- peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, a pack of hot dogs. I tried it all, and nothing happened. You know, so until I got to college, I know you all too well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So your 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 body's changing as you go, right? And I always think about this because you're 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 not totally where you need to be as an adult. So as this change is happening, and you're getting great coaching, right? Uh, I mean, was it difficult looking back in, in the rearview mirror right now and understanding sort of where you were until you got to that, that fighting weight? 
fortunately, um, there's a couple things that happened. One was in Double A, I had no no changeup whatsoever. I had a good curveball and a fastball that I always say I could hit a gnat's ass from sixty feet six inches right. <laughs> from the mound. So that helped. Um, but um, what uh, uh, one of my uh, teammates, uh, we were out and I was throwing a knuckleball and trying to circle change and just wasn't comfortable with an off-speed pitch. Tony Ferrara, who was a left-handed pitcher at the time with us in Double A, were talking about it, and he showed me a little grip, and he it was basically a fastball grip, but spread your fingers just a little bit on both seams and mm-hmm. pull down, so it's like a screwball. And really, that pitch, I think, really made made my career kind of go go up a lot from that because I had three pitches, a great changeup, um, and I felt like uh, the curveball was my third pitch. So, but the putting on weight and getting the velocity in that was definitely a huge factor for me and i'm going from about 89 miles an hour to 95 miles an hour wow so, you know um it uh it, it definitely uh definitely helped putting on weight but the changeup really really i think made a huge difference in, in me uh you know being successful okay so from your fastball you said 95 miles an hour if you if you if you did a change up so how far back could you go it was about 12 miles an hour difference. That's just amazing. So yeah, it's just, change up and, and you and you learn, you sort of camouflage it, right? And you're in your and you're you're doing your routine, and you don't know you it until it leaves your fingers, yeah. right? Yeah, I actually finished my changeup off. I could I could show you pictures or baseball cards of me and and tell you what pitch I was throwing just by the way either I finished or the way I was holding the ball. Yeah, but the changeup I always finished it better than any of my other pitches. That's why, and that was the latest pitch you developed, correct? Yes. That's amazing. Amazing. All right. So while we're talking to you and we're going to take a quick break uh, and it sounds like, are you eating right now? I need to know that. You're eating something. I'm having some French fries. <laughs> oh, I like it. So that's good. This is good. That's how we want. We want you to be comfortable. Hear me chewing. <laughs> I want to hear you chewing. That's part of the deal. All right. Well, OK, before we go into a break, you get to play DJ while you're having your French fries. Uh, birthplace of American music is right here in Mississippi. You get to lead us into the break with either Mississippi John Hurt or some Bo Diddley. Which one? Oh, let's do some Bo. I love it. All right. Brett Saberhagen has spoken Sabes live from French fries eating capital of the world, <laughs> Los Angeles. Uh, I'm Steve Azar. You're in a Mississippi Minute. We'll be right back. No other news team covers the Magnolia State like News Mississippi. On air with reports every hour and breaking news as it happens. News Mississippi at newsms.fm. The official news provider for Super Talk Mississippi. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I'm Steve Azar. We are with my brethren. Same birthday, literally, same year. We hadn't checked the time yet. That's the only thing that's missing, Brett Saberhagen. Brett, let's talk about why you're in the middle of your French fries still. Let's talk about uh, <laughs> your time with Kansas City, your World Series run, your MVP run, uh, Game 7. I want you to uh, I want you to take me through that. You're already pitching your tail off, right? And, and you get to Game 7. And uh, so tell me, because I remember watching it, you know, as a fan. 
But right. just what runs through your mind when you prep and get ready? Are there butterflies at the first pitch like you're in a football player? You need to get that first snap out of the way and get hit a couple times. What is it? Where, where? What's your preparation like, and what does it feel like to throw the first pitch? Well, I couldn't wait to throw the first pitch because um, knowing that game seven is you, you win and you're champions or you lose and you finish in second place and you feel like you let down your your teammates, your family, your friends, um, fans. Um, so there was a, a lot of pressure. I remember sitting down in the locker before the game and George's locker uh, was next to mine, Brett. He looked at me and he goes, you seem nervous, what's the matter? I'm only game seven. <laughs> I just kind of laughed. And, but really, um, you always get butterflies and anxiety before every game you pitch. But this was more so than any other game that I've ever been involved in. And honestly, I pretty much didn't feel my feet touching the ground until about the third inning. I was able to get uh, get some outs early and settle in. And uh, we ended up scoring a bunch of runs early in the game as right. well. And it made my job a lot easier. I think the final score was 11 to, 11 nothing. One of those games that uh, everything just fell into place. Fortunately, but um, most nervous I've ever been before in the game. Okay, so you're you're in the you're in the flow, right? You already got some. You already got you got a lead. So is it like because because you are a great you, you're a really good golfer, and so if you're on the golf course and you've got a lead, like you watch these guys on the pro tour and all that, you can sort of go into or football a prevent defense, and sometimes it costs you, and sometimes it's hard to play with a lead. Do you just are you just fueled and jacked and just going, or are you? Are you you know, firing at pins? You know what I mean. Are you, are you sort of just becoming more intelligent? Like, are, okay, are you picking more spots? Or does it make the does it make the tart your your strike zone bigger? Um, yeah, you don't want to you don't want to fall behind. You want to work ahead. Those are the, the I, first pitch strikes. But fortunately, I had one of the one of the best catchers in the in the game, uh, Jim Sumberg, who caught I don't know how many of Nolan Ryan's no hitters, and just uh, a veteran catcher that uh, knew everything that I wanted to throw. We were always on the same page, and we very very rarely I'd shake him off um, just because not um, wanting to throw something else. It was just because what I wanted to throw, he was calling. He uh, he, he he loves telling the story. Still, he said after we got into the first inning and there was uh, two outs. And he saw how I was throwing in, in the pitches. He said, this game's over with as long as we can score a run. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, so he knew. But, um, right. I, yeah, he knew. I, I didn't. Uh, he felt really confident in my stuff. But get those runs. It was funny. By the fifth inning, I think we were up like 7 8 nothing. I remember a few guys coming back to the dugout and said, hey, let's make out so we can get the, this party started. <laughs> right, I love it. I love it. Okay, so let me ask you this. Let's go to like your no hitter. Okay, and it was later. So it was 1991, 90, 91, 92? 1991. Okay, yeah. all right. Okay, all right. Because so 91, you had your two Cy Youngs. You've sort of bent your peak. So did you go through a little funk before you threw that? Or were you rolling and it was one of those magical days? I don't remember what I was feeling like before that, but I did have a good curveball that game. I remember the last out. Um, was a, a curveball to Frank Thomas, who uh, yeah. who flipped a little couple hopper over our second baseman Terry Shumpert to throw a curveball with the game on the line. When it's my third pitch, um, I still kind of shake my head. So obviously, it was it was a good pitch, and all three pitches were working that particular game for me. Wow, this is the big hurt, right? We talking that that yeah, Frank the big hurt, hurt. Yeah, yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. We're talking to Brad Saberhagen. He's giving us the rundown. All right, so go back to the go back to Game Seven of the World Series. Uh, you become MVP, and uh, I mean, 
What do they give you for it? Did you get like, what's the party like? I need to know what you do afterwards, besides the champagne on your body and all that. So Drew, my oldest son, was born um, prior to game six. So he was uh, uh, in the hospital still with my uh, my wife, Janine. So after doing a little celebrating at the at the ballpark and that, I ended up going to the hospital and doing a little celebrating with both of them. Yeah. Reality. Reality set again. Not allowing, right. not allowing you to get in too much trouble at night. You, you know, you're supposed to leave that for the fans <laughs> anyway, right? Fans. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, no yeah. turning cars over. You didn't turn any cars over no, that night, or that's, yeah. not a, that's not a Kansas City move. No looting. Yeah, eating a lot no of bar- looting that I remember. And I eating, eating a lot of barbecue, up. right? Yeah, a lot of barbecue and a lot of uh, cocktails going on. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Do you know that uh, it was Kansas City? Uh, that I became really good friends with a program director named Mike Kennedy. Mike Kennedy was a morning guy. He was the program director. He was like one of the, I had like these 10 radio guys that were so good to me that did things that nobody, no radio guy should have ever done. They went way against the grain and I'll never forget it. He just retired. He's retiring early and his daughter roomed with uh, Tom Watson's daughter in, in college at Kansas. And uh, we became the greatest friends, but but he did some things for me. So I, I was always fond of Kansas City, and my, my family, my dad's family was from Kansas City. So I had uh, when I'd go do shows there, they'd show up, and that was I never met That's them, awesome. you know. So I so I obviously have a lot, a lot of love and affection for that town, and and it really helped me have a career. So it was a place where you know where you start getting radio play it was a big enough market where people were paying attention and, and I owe that guy. So we're talking to Brett Saberhagen. All right, Brett. Okay. So let's talk about this comment. Cause I have to have a long discussion with you. This is not how you get into the hall of fame. Did you really make the comment that, you know, I had to do, I do a little research on you guys, the stuff that I don't know, you yeah. know, and I found out, did you really say that you, that until Pete Rose gets in, you, you won't show up? Is that what you said? I uh, I made that I made that comment. I felt very strongly that Pete Rose, one of the best hitters ever, more hits than anybody in, in Major League Baseball. Did gamble on baseball as a as a manager. Right. He wasn't going to go into the Hall of Fame as a manager. Should have gone in as as a as a player, but kind of changed that tune. Not because of what had happened with me and so on and so forth, but there has been other stuff that has come out that has kind of said that. Pete Rose did gamble um, on baseball as a player, and we right. know every every spring training, uh, FBI uh, come in, they put their guns on the table and try to make a statement. And we know that, that it's illegal to gamble on our own sport. Um, very frowned upon. Um, not a not a, a thing that you want to be involved with. I didn't feel like he he did it as a player, but he did it as a manager. Um, he should go in as a player, not as a manager. I totally agree so that with was you. My my big my big thing was that uh, you know I thought he should have been in 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 the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I know. But you're dealing, uh, you know, as your brother here, I'm just telling you, you're uh-huh. dealing with a lot of people going like, okay, well, we'll keep him out too. <laughs> right. <laughs> you take you're taking a little bit of a bullet, just FYI, when you don't need yeah. to. But uh, no, yeah. what, do you do you feel like? Uh, I mean, 170 wins. You got almost 170 wins, don't? I mean, that's so many. You did all the right things. I think if I could take one thing back, would be if I could have been healthy over my whole entire career. That's impossible, almost though. Yeah, you have a lot of guys that play their you know whole entire career and not really have major injuries. I think if you if you add up my my days on the disabled list, I uh, you can probably take off a good. Uh, six or seven years at least off of mm. my uh, my career that I actually wasn't even in uniform playing. 
I would have loved to have been out there, and I felt like, you know, at times I wasn't helping out my team. I was I was in the training room and trying to rehab and not uh, being a part of, you know, what we were trying to achieve. So Just the trauma you put on your bodies with this constant motion uh, it's just there's just no way your bodies are only built you know you know like any like a car or anything else just things are going to break down but uh, yeah all right let's let's jump from <laughs> I do want to know what was your go to what do you feel like your was it the curveball your go-to pitch later in the years or to, to that that sort of kept you in the game longer was there a pitch or what was it all of them well I, I, I used to say if I had the, the curveball working in the first inning it was going to be a, a very enjoyable afternoon for me <laughs> right um, there's, you know, and again, I couldn't stray away from the curveball. Um, the fastball and changeup were always there. I could always throw that for strikes. But if my curveball wasn't working in the first inning, and again, I think I had 72 complete games in my career, and yeah. I didn't have any after my first arm surgery in 1980, 1995. I always felt that if the curveball wasn't there in the first inning or two innings, I'd still have to throw it in certain counts because I'd want to have that pitch later in the game. Um, and I wanted to throw a complete game or get deep in the game. Right. Give it to our closer in that. So um, I always kept throwing the pitch, even though it wasn't um, working for me, just to get a feel for it. And maybe by the fourth inning, you know, I got a feel for it and it was working. Okay, so tell me, was leaving hard? I mean, I think we all know playing a, a sport, you know, one of the big four sports that you can only do it forever. Uh, golf, you can play, you know, yeah. for a long period of time. But baseball, basketball, football, and hockey, you know that your time is limited. But when that time comes, it's still tough. But yeah. I think what made it easy for me um, to step away from the game was because I just couldn't physically do it anymore. My arm wouldn't let me. I think it would have been a lot tougher if somebody would approach me and said, hey, Brett, you know, we're, uh, we're letting you go because we don't feel like you can help us out anymore. It made it a little easier for me to step away from the game, just physically not being able to do it. I'm Steve Azar. You're in a Mississippi Minute with the fabulous, legendary Brett Saberhagen. We'll be right back. Hey, folks, if you're tired of being tired because your pillow isn't doing his job at night, give my buddy Chad and his team at OmniPillow a go. OmniPillow has a 100-day return policy, and listen to this. They will donate a pillow to someone in need every time you purchase one. Their goal is to give away 1 million pillows. It also comes with a stress cube that sells for 10 bucks. You'll thank me, I promise. Give yourself a much-deserved life's rest. Go to OmniPillow.com, enter promo code Steve Azar. That's OmniPillow.com, promo code Steve Azar, and you'll receive 20% off with free shipping. If you ask me, there's no better pillow on the planet. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Hungry for that catfish fry. I'm Steve Azar. You're in a Mississippi Minute with the great Brett Saberhagen. We call him Sabes. He has so many accomplishments in the major leagues. He's been a Cy Young winner not one time, but two times. An All-Star three times. A World Series champion. So your career was pretty stable as far as you didn't play on ten teams. You played on like four, right? Uh, you know. And then did that play to come into play at all with raising your kids and just moving them? And or did you ever move them when you went and played? Well, I, you know, I, I really um, loved playing in the, in the spots that I did. Uh, there was only one time that I switched teams, um, and that was my choice as a free agent uh, um, when I went from the Rockies to the Red Sox. 
but other than that, I I always signed a you know a, an extension on my contract to stay where I was because I really enjoyed the the places that I played. You you spent eighteen years pitching, right? Twenty years. Um, eighteen overall, they call it a sixteen year career. Some people say I was you know, I played sixteen years because. Uh, there were two years completely that um, I had shoulder surgery and I didn't play. All right, what's the average? What's the average time and lifespan of a, a major league pitcher? You know, that's a good question. But I know there's. It's. I, I just heard a stat that there's only been uh, I think less than twenty thousand people to ever put on a big league uniform. So I think that's kind of uh, shows you how tough it is and uh, mm. how uh, how hard it is to make it uh, to the big leagues. What was the greatest venue? You felt like well, you I loved all. I loved the older ballparks. I mean, even Kaminsky was a, a great old ballpark. Right. Uh, Wrigley, uh, you know, that was my first big league game I ever went to as a kid. Seeing the Cubs play, um, Fenway's a, a great ballpark. Um, but I always kind of gravitated gravitated towards the, the the fields that had really high, good mounds, and it felt like you were right on the hitter, such as in Oakland. Love pitching in Oakland, old Cleveland mm-hmm. Stadium. Anaheim why? Why was that? How was that allowed? How was a How was a taller mound allowed? I mean, was there certain sort of rules? Or? Yeah, they, they some would get away with it, and if they found out that the you know the office was coming in to to see, it was supposed to be eleven inches above the plate. The mound was only allowed to be eleven inches above the plate, and uh, you know some some ground crew guys would fudge and make it a little taller. <laughs> um, and if they heard that the office was coming in to to check it out, um, they would uh, shorten it down a little bit. So, plus, the, you know, the couple of mounds that I was talking about, Dodger Stadium in Anaheim, all the mounds have it now and all the batter's box have it now is clay. So there's a clay base in there so that you don't have those big old holes that you're standing in. Right. You probably remember those holes that you used right. to pitch in or, you know, you'd see out on the mound and that. Now it's clay, but I think the two stadiums that really started that was Dodger Stadium and uh, uh, Angels. They put clay in there and you wouldn't have huge holes that you were stepping in. Talking to the great Brett Saberhagen, this has been a blast. Hey, Brett, so let's jump into uh, your acting career real quick. Is it uh, <laughs> so you married with children? Come on, come on. That's so Al Bundy. Are you kidding? Are we kidding here? Big Ed, yes. Al's awesome. Okay, yeah, so was what was that time. like, and what did you do that on the role on your role in your um, role? So it was '94 when we went on strike. Um, married with children had an episode about uh, um, all of us partaking in uh, different jobs. Um, myself, I was a pizza boy delivery guy. Um, <laughs> Danny Tartable was uh, a mall cop. Um, Dave Winfield was a camera guy. So, yeah, we were all trying to find odds and ends jobs since we were uh, um, on strike. Wow. I love it. I love it. What a job. And then you were in the movie The Scout. <laughs> Brandon Frazier. Yeah. Yes. I love Brandon Frazier. Yeah. yeah, I love yeah. it. He, uh, he, took me, he took me back in Yankee Stadium both sides of the plate. Actually, it was funny because he, he couldn't he couldn't hit a ball to save his life. I was putting them in there, but when they put it on uh, on TV or on on the on, in the movies and that, yeah, it looks like he's uh, hitting it out of the ballpark both sides of the plate. Wow, I love it. The art of Hollywood because that only could happen in Hollywood. Okay, so now you're what are you doing? Are you just relaxing? Are you are you still participating in any sort of high school baseball? Are you advising? Are you just you working on your golf game? What's going on with you? Well. This is kind of cool. It, uh, it hasn't officially happened yet, but the uh, Australian Baseball League, um, uh, the Sydney team, has approached me about uh, possibly being uh, uh, involved with uh, with their team. There's six teams out in Australia, and we're trying to work out the details. But uh, wow. it could involve uh, a few trips over there each year. They play during the winter time, not during our regular season. Right. So um, we'd be looking to get some guys that are maybe doing some rehab or need some extra innings or some more at bats, uh, possibly going over there and 
and uh, playing for our team over there in uh, in Sydney. So I love um, it. That, that's uh, on the, the burner right now, and it uh, it should be happening pretty soon. That's awesome, sure. awesome. Okay, so what about uh, do you get a chance to see Reggie Smith at all while you guys are in LA? Did- I run into Reggie in the in the craziest places. It's funny. I, I'll see him at an airport. I'm going somewhere, and he's going another place. Rose <laughs> is awesome. Uh, such great people as you know oh yeah he's one of the true gems um just uh just a great uh, ambassador for baseball and just a great human being overall yeah he's like one of my favorite i mean like you and i i feel like listen i love you but you and i are a little bit more cutting the same cloth when i'm around reggie i feel like uh i can't ever do i gotta act really good because <laughs> i don't want him to be disappointed right. <laughs> right no i hear you yeah absolutely. i love it i love it well listen i can't thank you enough i appreciate it was it ketchup or mustard on your french fries while we were discussing things you know what i do a little bit of both i do a little combo boy. ketchup and mustard and yeah. so do i so that may be that whole april 11th thing 19 nine, i'm gonna say 1984 for us how you like that you like that? Yeah, that sounds a little bit better. We're a little younger. They're 20 <laughs> years younger. Well, Brett, I can't thank you enough. Everybody, you've been with the fabulous Brett Saberhagen. We call him Sabes. Uh, thanks for taking the time to be in a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, brother. I appreciate you. I appreciate it. Thanks, Art. We'll see you soon. Thank you, baby. You got it, buddy. Anytime. All right. Bye-bye. I'm Steve Azar. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, where you can take your sweet time. It's easier than ever to hear Super Talk anywhere. Now you can get Super Talk Mississippi on Amazon Alexa devices. Just go to supertalk.fm slash Alexa to find out more. For news, politics, sports, and the good things happening in Mississippi, the conversation starts here. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.